Father Lord, we thank you, my God, for this day. We thank you for your special name among men. Father, we lift you up. We honor you above all things. You are the center of our reality, the center of everything in our life. And even as we struggle in our discipleship, my God, as things try to pull you out of the center of our being, we war against those things in the spirit because we know the truth, the truth about you, the truth about your son, the truth about the Holy Spirit, that we are one with you in a goal to restore your kingdom that everything else is going to burn, that everything else is going to be separated from us ultimately. And the only thing that will be left is us and Jesus. And so we thank you, my God. We pray you forgive us of our sins. We plead the blood of Jesus as justification for resting in your love, justification for announcing ourselves as sons and daughters. And Father, we pray against the wall of hostility. We pray against the demonic principalities that try to create a division between us and you. We pray against the wall that separates us from each other as well. As we come into agreement under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be full of your peace and your love and your long suffering and your patience and your kindness and your goodness and your joy and your hope, full of faith to unite with you in the spirit, my God. We pray against everything that divides brother from brother, sister from sister, sister from brother, and brother from sister. We pray right now, Father God, for the unity of the body in the spirit, my God. And we pray against every ministering word that is not from Christ, every ministering word that comes from the enemy, trying to be a righteous word from you, my God. And so we thank you. We thank you, my God. We thank you. We see the problem with knowing the difference between good and evil. And so we pray, my God, that evil be removed from our presence, Lord, and that we unite with you in the spirit and that we flow with you in the spirit and that we humble ourselves in brokenness and contrition to be with you. Let us make the main thing the main thing. Let's keep our priorities in order, Father God. By the power of your spirit, this shall be so. We know that nothing separate us from nothing will separate us from the glory if we love you and if we obey you. So we pray, my God, for that obedience. We pray for forgiveness wherever that obedience has fallen short. We pray for unilarity of thought. And we pray that you can help us to walk in agreement in the spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And the body of Christ says, can we get an amen in the house of the Lord? If someone could just jump on and just share with me. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. I want to share with I want to amen. Amen. I want to share with you this morning what I felt the Lord calling for in this day eight of the wilderness. One of the biggest things that we have to admit, right, is that whenever we hear this idea of going into the wilderness, we think of maybe Jesus wandering off in the wilderness and he was by himself. It was just him and the angels and the wild animals. And so every time we say we have a wilderness experience, people think of isolation, they think of separation, they think of, of, of you dividing yourself from everything, and it's just being you and God. But in actuality, Jesus actually wasn't really alone. Jesus was there with the Father and the Holy Spirit. 
right? And we as the bride of Christ are one with Christ. So in a figure of speech, we were also there with him in the wilderness, though we weren't born until much later, Pentecost 33 CE. The nation of Israel was in the wilderness as a group, as a tribe, as a family. They were in the wilderness. And so one of the things that is wrong about the way people see the wilderness experience is the wilderness experience is not about isolation, but it's about checking you so that you can come into agreement with the community of holiness. And the community of holiness would also include all the other members of the elect that are part of that holiness. So the wilderness is not about an isolation between you and God. The wilderness is about bringing correction to you so that your fit association for the other children of God and be unified as one. And how God demonstrated that with the nation of Israel is when they sinned, the whole tribe was punished. He didn't go, oh, well, just these 10 over here sins. So we're going to deal with just these 10. No, when there was sin in the camp, everybody in the camp was subjected to punishment. If the tribe had defilement in it, then the whole tribe was defiled. And what God was teaching them in the wilderness was community. And how about that, saints? Because, right, when we think about it now, about a wilderness experience, we don't think community. We think going into our cave, us and God, and coming out at some point. And then after we come out of the wilderness, then we're in community. And I understand that to some point, and to some extent, it has its place. But one of the things that should come out of you coming out of the wilderness is that you're in better agreement with the body of Christ. So there's we talk a lot in the ministry about vertical connection with God. We do that because vertical connection with God builds communal connection with the remnant. I'll say it again, vertical, down to up connection with God builds better agreement and unity with the remnant because all of those disciples are also in this vertical connection. But God is not schizophrenic. If I'm in community with God and in unity with God, and you're in community with God and in unity with God, then since God's not schizophrenic, there should also be a spirit of agreement between us as well. And what I notice in the body of Christ now is that we've become so gift focused and we've become so ability focused. And now with the sweeping impact of Pentecostalism across the Western Christian movement. Notice I'm using these theological semi-secular terms, but I'm only doing them for the purpose of identification. So I'm speaking as a man would speak. That it isn't creating more love between the brothers and the sisters. It's only creating more quote unquote power and manifestation of miracles within the congregational setting. But the unity between the brothers and sisters have not increased. And this is not a new truth. If you look at the scriptures in the book of John, John chapter 13, um, verse 34, Christ says, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, Christ said this to them 
near the end of their ministry, okay? And we know that the book of John was written to fill in the gaps on what was missing in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so if John, and that scripture where he says, a new command I give you, love one another, only appears in the gospel of John amongst the gospel scriptures. Because it was missing in the other gospels. And John saw fit to make sure that this statement that Christ made about love got repeated. And then he repeats it again in 1 John, which is why, by the way, a lot uh, in, Christ, in the Christian realm, we it's a custom to call God John the gospel, the, 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 the apostle of love, okay? And so near the end of Christ's ministry, after three and a half years of these brothers walking with him in consecration, because they were in a real consecration, they were practically living with Jesus for three and a half straight years, that's some serious consecration. He was like, at the end of all this, You've raised people from the dead. You've rebuked demons. You've uh, you've 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 done miracles and healing, and you've seen me still the waters. After all that, I still got to tell you that I'm going to give you a new command. Now, all the other commands should have also led to this love, <laughs> but he still had to emphasize. It. He says, "A new command I give you." love one another as i have loved you now this is a command he said this is a command as i have loved you you must love one another now most of us when we go into the wilderness love is not our measuring stick when we come out Maybe we've been struggling with some sin and because we have some distracting activities going on in our life, we haven't really been able to give that sin enough attention to shut it down. And we feel like God has called us in a wilderness experience so we can get a deliverance in a specific area so we can overcome a struggle or overcome an, a, 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 a character trait flaw or overcome some problem in our being that affects our ability to be successful or overcoming some emotional shortfall that exists within our mortal being. And we measure the wilderness by how well we've succeeded at overcoming some of these things for ourselves when we come out of the wilderness. But what if we measured coming out of the wilderness by how much better we love one another? A new command I give you love one another as i have loved you you must love one another and so in the nation of israel when there was sin in the camp the people were called to address the camp as a whole and to address the people who were sinning praying and hoping that as a tribe they wouldn't be defiled and receive punishment from god this was god's method of teaching them community in the wilderness Teaching them oneness, teaching how to teaching them how to get along with one another. Because God's not schizophrenic. You know, I used to say this. I don't do this. I don't say it much anymore, but maybe we'll go back to saying it. But whenever I'm dealing with someone in this with conflict resolution and I'm counseling souls in conflict resolution, one of the things I tell them is, okay, understand this. When you're in disagreement with another disciple, 
One of three things is in the works. You're in the spirit and they're not. They're in the spirit and you're not. Or both of you ain't in the spirit. How do we know this? Because God's not schizophrenic. And if you're operating in the spirit and they're operating in the spirit, then you should be able to come to a place of agreement. But if you cannot come into a place of agreement, then sin is somewhere present in one of you or the other one of you or both of you. Now, for the sincere, broken and contrite Christian, that immediately causes a moment of pause. Wait a minute, let me see if I can find a place of agreement with my brother because I really don't want to be the one that's in sin. But I find with the arrogant and the prideful, yeah, well, that's right. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'm the one in the spirit. <laughs> Not able to be self-reflective, not able to walk in a contrition and a brokenness to allow God to minister into their blind side. They almost immediately believe that because there is a disagreement, they're the one that's in the spirit. They see no spiritual need to seek a place of agreement in love. You may not even be able to agree specifically in a doctrinal point. Maybe you have a personal revelation and somebody else has another personal revelation and your two personal revelations don't agree. But one thing you should agree on, because it's a command that we love one another. I can't tell you how many times I'm on social media and two brothers start talking and, 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 and they don't agree. And instead of trying to find a place of agreement in love, they send each other to hell. One sending the other one to hell, the other one sending the other one to hell. And I'm like, is that really the direction this conversation needed to go? Or is there a spirit of lovelessness in the mix? A universal truth. He said, a new command, I give it a command from the Lord. A lot of us think we're going to be judged by, with God by breaking a bunch of rules with God. But you can also be condemned for not loving your brother. He said, there are many people that are going to come to me on the day of inspection, and they're going to talk about all the great things they have done. But I'm going to tell them, get away from me, you workers of iniquity. Because you didn't love me when I was destitute, you didn't love me when I was in prison, you didn't love me when I was sick. And they're going to be confused. When were you, Lord, sick or in prison or without home or indigenous? Excuse me, not indigenous, that's not the word. I meant without a home. I'm sorry, I used the wrong word there. And he's going to go, the fact that you were unwilling to do it for the least of one of these, then you didn't do it for me. He sees the body as one. He sees the body as his bride. He sees the bride as the oneness of himself or the two become one flesh. This is a divine mystery, but now I'm talking about the church and Christ. It's Apostle Paul speaking in Ephesians 5. So where's the love? One of the things about the wilderness is it did create a great deal of unity. In fact, as they were coming out of the wilderness, the nation of Israel, it became apparent that some land was really good right before they crossed over into the promised land. And the brothers were like, well, we would like this land right here. Moses said, that's fine. You can have that land. But you will not be able to rest in the land until you've helped your brothers take the promised land. You're not going to be able to just stay here and enjoy this land. And then they're going to go and fight everybody in the promised land. No, you, you got it. You got this land. You may bring your wife and children. They can all be here. But you guys are going to still be with us as a whole 
to go and help your brothers finish the assignment that they were supposed to. And this teaching became so dominant, if you remember, when it was said the nation of Israel was surrounded by one of their enemies and they were surrounded and they were starving to death because the enemy was trying to basically you know, choke them through attrition. You know, nobody could get out, nobody could go anywhere. I mean, and 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 the prophet said, "Listen, let me tell you something. Tomorrow, bread's gonna sell real, real cheap because you're gonna have plenty of it." I said, "This is not even possible." The prophet said, "Ah, because you act like that, you won't be the one that's be a part of this." But yes, it will happen. And so, over the night, the Lord had put fear in the army of of the of the enemies of Israel, and they ran and left everything, food, everything. And remember, remember the, 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 the lepers were the first one to find it. When the lepers found it, they said they were eating and rejoicing. They thought to themselves, we better go into the city and tell the people about this before sundown, lest the Lord punish us. See, they instinctually knew that they had an accountability to God for the entire nation. These are lepers, lepers who can't even congregate with the nation. They have to say unclean, unclean when anybody comes around them. These are lepers, people who they look down on because the nation of Israel always believed that if you had any ailment or illness or deformity, it was a curse from God. So the people that thought they were cursed, the people that would not let them in the community because they couldn't be inside the community with their leprosy, are the people they were concerned about because they didn't want to get punished for God because they thought it's sinful they were able to have all this bread while everybody was starved in the city. Think about that. Do we carry that spiritually? I'm in this spiritual nirvana. Do I think to myself, before this night goes out, I got to share some of this spiritual glory with some people that aren't in the same spiritual condition as me. That the Lord might not look down upon me because I did not consider the needs of my brother. Oh, yeah, the wilderness is not about our individuality. The, the wilderness is about us being ready and made right and given a spirit of agreement for the benefit of the community. Because a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. Now, this is the key, because we really believe that people will know we're Christian by the way we talk. Other Christians will know we're Christians because of our ability to speak in tongues or to, to utilize a gift, to prophesy, to preach, to evangelize. These are the, the, the uh, to, to, to shepherd. And so clearly you see my Christianity by the way God works through me, through my gift, clearly. We think Christianity is identified by how we look on Sunday when it's time to go to church or how we don't curse, lie, cheat, or steal, which are all great things. Those are all great things in the Lord. Those are all manifestations of Christ's glory. But this is not the testimony that Christ said would be the most powerful. This is the testimony that would be the most powerful. And a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so much you love one another. By this, all men, Christian and non-Christian, 
all men will know that you are my disciple because of the way you love one another. You know, we live in an age, saints, we live in an age where there's more worldwide knowledge of Jesus in this age than any other age in human history. I'll say it again. In this age, in this world today, there's more worldwide knowledge of Jesus than in any age in human history. But can we say that in this age, there's no manifestation of brotherly love than any age in human history? You know, when we started some of this, we talked about the difference between drasi, right, action, and gnosis, knowledge. And uh, you hear me talk a lot about academic affliction. At the very core of academic affliction is this truth. Knowledge that doesn't lead to action is an affliction. So when you have academic knowledge, that academic knowledge doesn't manifest or bear fruit in action. It's a kind of a dead knowledge. Academics has to do with knowledge. Academics does not have to do with action. There are people who get academic degrees, but don't follow up with what they've learned in their life action. There are people getting theological degrees that aren't even Christian. There were some people getting theological degrees and then falling away from Christianity behind the divinity degree. So you hear me talk a lot about academic affliction. That's gnosis that doesn't lead to drasi. And the thing is that drasi is what Christ is talking about right here. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved, so you give me a standard because we say, "Well, I love everybody. Who don't I love? I love every. I, I love some people, though. You gotta love from a distance. We like to say that, don't we? Come on, we all say that. So don't think I'm trying to browbeat you. Okay, we all in this together here, right here. We all in submission to a directive word from the Holy Spirit. We like to say that, right? Uh, some people you gotta just love from a distance, but I love everybody. See, so Christ shut that down because he says, a new command I give you. This is powerful. Love one another as I have loved you. Meaning your measurement of love needs to be measured by the love that Jesus showed you. And the testimony of his love, which take, took him to the cross. Now, there's all different kinds of love. And so we don't want to uh, create a situation where uh, you feel like you've got to go to cross for somebody else's family. The Bible, there's all different types of love. Christ went to the cross for all mankind. Husbands, you're called to go to the cross for your wife, first and foremost. But in its appropriate space, do we have a right love for the church? Some of us think love means me, my family, and my local congregation, which makes sense because, you know, you have a lot of false disciples and false uh, Christians out there. If you don't know somebody's walk and they proclaim to be Christian and you try to show them all this abundant love and then you come to find out that they're really a swindler, you're going to end up all traumatized and all busted up. <laughs> 
So there is a need to use caution and wisdom, but you should always be erring on the side of love, not on the side of lovelessness. You should always be erring on the side of love as opposed to bitterness, lovelessness, or resentment, or condemnation. Are we loving as Jesus loves? And there's always different ways to love those who are lost, because loving the lost requires a certain measure of wisdom as well. And so there is a wisdom that goes along with this love. But are we learning the maturity of righteous love? Or have we just given up and just said, basically, listen, it's a tough world out here. Everybody ain't, what they, everybody ain't who they say they are. And I'm just going to take care of me and mine, and that's it. That is not loving the way Jesus loves, and that is not going to leave the testimony that Jesus requested be left. Your prophesying aren't going to leave that testimony. Your evangelizing is not going to leave that testimony. Your pastoring is not going to leave that testimony. Your apostling ain't going to leave that testimony. Your prophesying ain't going to leave that testimony. Your tongue speaking ain't going to leave that testimony. What's going to leave that testimony is the power of your love for the community of the believers and the world. So while we're in this wilderness experience, we had a lesson six, which talked, I don't know if you guys checked your email, a, I sent you something on day six. We were supposed to go through Matthew five, six, seven, and eight, right? And then we were supposed to ask ourselves what God was talking to us about. And then we were supposed to make a decision what we were going to do about what God was talking to us about from those scriptures. And then we were supposed to potentially share it with one other person and to hold ourselves accountable to this truth. So I'm going to share mine. Three things that I believe that God is calling me to. Restoring my passion. My love in my earlier days is greater than my love today. So restoring my passion for the kingdom. Emphasizing greater consistency in my walk. May your yes be yes, your no be no, or you'll be condemned. And to live out this scripture, to love one another. So I had to share it with at least one person. I shared it all with you. And this is going to have to lead to drossy, right? Because some actions. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. What about you? In this world of this season, will you take on the challenge to stay consistent and passionate, to love properly according to the directives of God, not retreating into our own little defense system to protect ourselves, but to actually love and to learn how to mature in love so that we love properly as Jesus loved. When you step out on the street in the community, do you take responsibility for the salvation of people? Do you take responsibility for the salvation of your neighbors? Do you take responsibility for the salvation of your local community? Do you take responsibility for the salvation of your city, your state, your country, your continent, the world? Do you take upon the burden like Christ took to love the world? Or have we isolated ourselves into our little pocket? And that's the little realm we work in. God's called you to something greater. An ambassador represents 
his country to anyone who would dare come. If you show up at anybody's embassy, it'll be filled with all the things from their country. And if you meet the actual ambassador, he's going to sit there and he's going to talk to you about his country. He's going to explain the, the greatness of his people. And here we are, ambassadors of Christ. Now, I'm sure everybody can't get into everybody else's embassy, but I'm sure every embassy's got the little web page and they've got their little way that they're talking to the world about their country. How are we talking to the world about ours? You walk into that job thinking in yourself, I might be someone's last hope for Jesus. Let me keep my eyes open. Let me keep my ears open. I have a ministering word that might have to be given. Or have we retreated into our own little private corner? And, you know, now in the face of potential persecution from the different social sectors of the world now that hate Christianity, everyone is very apt to want to retreat into their corner because now you could be accused of hate crimes or you could be accused of abuse or you could be accused of discrimination or you could be accused of all kinds of things. Everybody's anxious to retreat into their corner. But, you know, God does expect that light to shine, regardless of the laws that man passes. Are you ready to love as Jesus loved? Are you ready to obey the new command that for us is now thousands of years old? Let's take that commitment into this wilderness encounter. And let's let God minister to us individually in this area so that we can improve in the testimony of the kingdom. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your special name among men. We thank you for the glory of Christ, which shines above us. May we stay the light of the world. May we stay a light on a lampstand. May we stay the salt of the earth. Let us not lose our saltiness, my God, that we may be worthless and be thrown out and trampled on by men. And give us wisdom and discernment so that we know the process of properly loving one another and the world, even as Christ did. We thank you for these things, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And the body of Christ says, can we get an amen in the house of God? Amen. 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 Uh, glory to God. Have a great day, saints. You all too.